0: brand new sound for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach Introducing the Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher, man. And Rabbi Joseph Fantasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, now on 77 WABC. The Rev and the Rabbi.
1: Where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, past week, the last day of school, and the group that is happiest, the teachers. I've never seen so many happy teachers, much happier than the students. Students want to be with their friends. Teachers want to just, you know, we've had enough. It's time to get away. So uh, and we all, student, teacher, we all used to look forward uh, to uh, recharging batteries and, and, and trying to do things over the summer. Uh, that we couldn't do uh, during the year. Reading the books that we said we're going to read. Um, you know, visiting places we said we want to visit with family and friends. So, uh,
2: that, that so- is true. I will never forget as a kid how much I look forward to. July and August. Yeah. Those were the two yeah. best months of July the year. July
1: more than August, because August was <laughs> too close to September. <laughs>
2: yeah. right. reminding you, you got to gear up yeah. and go back. Yeah. You remember in August, late August, yeah. we had all of the television trailers about the new TV shows that were coming on. Yeah. Do you remember that? I don't know if you ever got enveloped in all that.
1: Uh, no, but I remember when I, when I used to see the back-to-school signs, uh, the clothing sale, back-to-school you know, get get all the stuff you need. That was depressing for me. And then there was a Jerry Lewis telethon. And oh, then, yeah, I knew, right? then I knew, then I knew. It's over. That, it's over. It's <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. On a, on a much more serious note, we uh, obviously, we have in our in our hearts and our prayers and uh, the tragedy unfolding in Florida, uh, you know, the collapse of a building and the missing people and uh, you know, I, I I have friends who said they knew people who live in that building. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a very well known building. It's near a synagogue, so people would you know choose that location because they wanted to be within walking distance of the synagogue. But how horrific uh, the collapse of a building, and and how heroic are the the rescue workers who you know risk their lives to save lives and you know we we have to be thankful for all that they do as well
2: ah uh, yeah that that was a tough one and 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 strange the way half of the building collapsed and the other half yeah. remained standing that that's has to that's that's has to do with the foundation uh that's that's a crazy thing i'm sure they're going to be a lot of investigating going on to understand what took place but there are still people unaccounted for and, and uh, they even put out a number. I don't know if you knew about it, uh, Rabbi, but they, they put out a telephone number for people to call uh, if you knew someone who lived in the condo just to help them understand whether that person was
1: trapped uh, in the rubble or, or actually out of town. You know, it reminds us about the fragility of life. And, you know, so many people focus on next time, next year, tomorrow. Uh, you know, that as kids, we always would ask, when are we going to get there? And we didn't take time to recognize that we're, you know, on a journey now and to appreciate the moment, what we have and who we have in our lives. Um, so this is a uh, it's it's frightening because this could happen anywhere, anytime. Uh, but I again, I looked at those rescue workers and I said, do we really fully appreciate people who put themselves in danger? because they want to you know, uh, bring others out of danger. Uh, it's a moment to, to, to appreciate as well, to pray for you know, uh, those who are still stri- struggling to survive and praying for those who are trying to find those.
2: You know, it's interesting. At times like this, Rabbi, we hear the word, I'm praying for a miracle mm-hmm. uh, because people know that in situations like this, they They can only appeal to someone transcendent, yeah. you know, um, in hopes that their loved one is spared. There's one one couple looking for their daughter yeah. and devastated because she still hasn't been found. Um, that's a tough situation, yeah, I cannot imagine. And that's why I, I don't see how we could live without hope. yeah
1: and and religion gives us hope, yeah, and the the idea of community that we all must come together and give strength and support to one another, who very often are hurting so deeply. Interestingly today, Reverend, on the Jewish calendar is the 17th day of Tammuz, which is a fast day, uh, and it commemorates the breach of the walls in Jerusalem prior to the destruction of the year 70 uh, by the Romans. And the question is asked, so why do we, you know, fast when there was a breach? We fast when there's the destruction. Why the breach? And I think the answer is clear that you have to look at a problem at the incipient stage at the earliest possible time. Don't wait till it's too late. Look at hatred. You know, we, we come together. We talk about some acts of hatred. But the real discussion needs to be so. What do we do to prevent the hatred when there's a breach, when people, you know, don't take it seriously enough? Um, and I think that that's a message for that resonates with all people. Uh, regardless of their faith tradition. Absolutely. And and you talk about issues of race and
2: uh, what's going on in our society. I'm going to be in Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. this Tuesday. And uh, black and white churches got together and invited myself and Dr. Bernice King, Dr. Martin Luther King's daughter, to come down to a town hall meeting to talk about the issue and how we can begin the healing process, because there's been a lot of tension there. And, of course, um, reaction expressed in violence, you know, mm-hmm. between police and uh, citizens of color. The fact that gun violence has taken the lives of uh, about five high school students, you know. Um, so, I, I, you know, healing begins with a, a conversation and then thinking about how we could work together to move things forward. But yeah. we've got to sit down and talk to
1: each other, not at each other. As early as possible, not wait, you know, until we have all of the pain, all the violence, but at the very first moment, so we don't get to that, you know, that very, very uh, tragic stage. Yeah. Rev? Yeah. I thank you. And by the way, when I go home, I'm going to look for that invitation to that conference in Knoxville. I didn't see it yet, but I would it must be, it must be in the mailbox as soon as I get home. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. We've got a guest coming. We do. We have Jerry Goldfeder, who is an election law specialist. And he's been with us before and certainly now, given the election uh, that has taken place in New York, we need to talk about, you know, what ranked choice voting has meant for us, plus his minuses, Uh, so that we know where we go from here. Look forward to it. All
2: right. We'll be back with more of The Rev and the The Rabbi Rabbi right here on 77 WABC.
0: Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. 77 WABC.
1: Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Pataskin. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend Bernard, if I were to use rank choice... In deciding who's my number one favorite election law expert, it would be Jerry Goldfeder. I wouldn't even go to number two. I would stay with number one, especially since he's a guest today. But, you know, Jerry Goldfeder, uh, he's special counsel at Struck. Uh He teaches at Fordham. You may not know this, Rev, but he was the number one student, first in his class at Cardozo Law School. Of course, what he doesn't exactly. tell you is the very small classes in those days. <laughs> you know. It was only a class of one. <laughs> How do you give a compliment and then take it <laughs> back? All in the same. It's only because I know and love Jerry well, I, wasn't, I,
3: I wasn't. I wasn't number one, but um, it was our first class, and it's great to be with both of you.
1: Uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Jerry, we here we went through this rank choice system. Well, give us your thoughts. You think it went well?
3: Didn't go well? I think it went pretty well. And um uh, thank you again for inviting me on once again uh to discuss this. I think it went pretty well. There was a lot of uh hullabaloo uh leading up to the campaign, leading up to uh to the election because it's a new system in New York City. Um and uh people you know like their old ways. I for one We you know, wish we still had the old lever machines where you go in and pull the lever and the curtain goes back and you vote on a machine. But, you know, modern times uh, require change. And I think people handled it very well. And as a matter of fact, I I think that most people had a very positive attitude about it because it gave voters an opportunity to vote for more than one person. So they felt that they uh, really uh, had more choices. Um, and, and, and we've seen that, um, uh, the turnout was a lot higher than, uh, we feared that it might be. So I'm, I'm pleased the way it went and I'm holding my breath because once the, the, uh, the, the voting process continues this coming week and we see who got the least vote, Uh, the least number of votes and who gets eliminated and how their votes are attributed to the remaining candidates. We'll see how that actually plays itself out. Um, And I hope the Board of Elections uh, software that uh, uh, goes through this process, I hope that software works and that we have a fair and accurate result at the end. So, so, uh, so help, help us
2: understand this. So, if someone gets fifty percent plus one after all the first they win. votes are counted, they win. Then the that's election's it. over, and and that candidate right. wins. Is that is that it? That's correct. Fifty percent plus one. So,
3: let's and look if at the no one list. gets the
2: fifty percent plus one, it goes on to round two. But what does that mean? Is that does that first candidate eliminated, and now it's the second? So what happens
3: that, that's is, up? for example, in the mayoral race. We have thirteen candidates running for mayor. They're not all serious candidates except in their own mind, but um uh we we see what the vote totals are and Eric Adams is number one, but he didn't get fifty percent plus one yet. So the the candidate who got the least number of votes after the Board of Elections counts all the votes from early voting, all the votes from election day. All the absentee and military and overseas votes. After all those votes are counted, we'll see if Eric Adams still remains number one. He probably will be. And we'll see who is the last candidate, the candidate who got the fewest votes. And the candidate who got the fewest votes, that candidate is eliminated for the next round. And... The voters who voted for him, number one, we look at those ballots and we see who they voted for, number two. And the number two votes get attributed to the remaining candidates. Mm -hmm. And there's actually uh, uh, a computer program that enables them to do it. But if things get uh, messed up in terms of the computer program, we have the actual physical ballots. And we can look at them one at a time. That would take a long time, but uh, uh, several weeks. But we have those paper ballots and we look at the uh, actual uh, ballot of uh, ballots of the of the candidate who got eliminated. And we look at their number two and we attribute it to Eric Adams or Catherine Garcia or whoever it might be. So we're talking... and we do that for every round. Then we go to the second round and we see. Who got the least amount on the second round, and we take out those ballots and we see who voted for number two for that candidate, and we attribute those number twos to the remaining candidates and it goes on from round to round until the candidate in the lead passes fifty percent plus one once that happens that 's the end Jerry is that it possible
1: is it possible that with so many candidates that no one gets 50% plus one mathematically? No,
3: no, no, because if it could go on, it could go on for 12 rounds because we have 13 candidates. It could go on for 12 rounds where we only have two candidates Mm -hmm, left. mm -hmm. And one of those candidates is going to beat the other one. And when you have two candidates, one of them is going to have more than 50%.
2: So, so how long can this go on? I mean so, so we won't know the winner of uh, of the mayoral election
1: until Christmas after, after the, the next voting. presidential election we'll we'll, yeah. we'll be able to announce. Well, that.
3: well it's going to be before Tishabov. I will tell you that. <laughs> so it's going it, it it it's going to happen. Uh we we will know the results probably by the first or second week of July. And the reason for that is we have all these absentee ballots. Throughout the city, they need to be counted Um, and they get counted uh, by hand first and then they get put through the machines. But we also have a new law that says if you make a mistake on your absentee ballot, if you don't sign in the right place or you don't date it in the right place or something like that, you get a chance to cure that inadvertent mistake. So. As the Board of Elections gets in all these absentee ballots, they look at them preliminarily and they say, oh, these are not valid because the voter made a mistake on the envelope or something. But we're going to send them a notice that they can cure that mistake. And so they... They they mail them a notice to cure it. They also email it to them. In some cases, they call them up on the phone. You have a, an, a preliminarily invalid absentee ballot. You need to cure it. And that voter has an opportunity to do so. So that takes time. So we're not going to have all the absentee ballots and those that are cured until probably the first week um, in July. Jim. At that point... We'll have all the absentee ballots, all the ab- affidavit ballots, the military, the overseas ballots and uh, the votes from Election Day and early voting. We'll put them through the machine and we'll be able to see who came in first, who came in last. We'll go to the next round and so on. So I think by about July 10th or so, we should know uh, who is one, unless we know earlier because somebody gets 50 percent plus one. Uh, in round one or round two or round three, without having to go the entire distance, sure. so it's a it's a real process. Yeah. But we'll get an accurate result at the end, and everybody ought to be patient.
1: Jerry Goldfeder, argue the other side. What do you see as the the downside besides late results? And that's only because you want to be accurate. What do you see as a negative in the rank choice system?
3: I, I really don't see much as uh, as negative at, at all. Um, it's Confusing, except we have almost a million people who have used it successfully. It's new, and people get a little nervous about anything that's new, but so what? Um, I, I'm not sure that there's anything negative about it, um, but we'll see how it plays out. If it plays I, out I, I, in a particular I way...
2: Rabbi, and you—you're in my brain right now, Rabbi, because you know people always learn to manipulate the system. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how can this ranked-choice voting system be manipulated?
3: But what do we mean by manipulated? If I'm one, the
2: outcome, you know, if we create a voting block that 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 plots to, <laughs> my conspiracy theorist here, that plots <laughs> to vote a certain way in order to affect a certain result. I mean, can that be figured out? Well, that's pretty out?
3: normal. That's pretty normal. We have that in in campa- We've had that in campaigns forever. Look at it this way: if we had ranked choice voting in. I don't want to date myself, but let's talk about the presidential race in the year 2000 in the state of Florida. George Bush won over Al Gore by 537 votes, but Ralph Nader got several thousand votes. If we had ranked choice voting, those people who had voted for uh, Ralph Nader would have put a number two person in presumably Al Gore, I don't know this for a fact, but I can presume it. And if he got eliminated in the first round, his number twos would have gone to Al Gore and Al Gore would have won. Mm. Would that be more fair or less fair? Is it is it better for somebody to win with a plurality or is it better for somebody to win with a majority? I think it's better to win with a majority.
1: Yeah, interesting. So... Jerry, let me let me ask you this. Looking at trends, there is a lot of discussion about you know the increase in the vote of the left or the influence of the left, and someone else was saying, well, but if you look at you know Adams and Garcia, lump them together, you have a greater moderate uh, vote. Uh, how do you see this election? You know, in terms of where do you see the strengths and weaknesses of the different sides?
3: Well, I think I think you're right in the way you described it. I think for the most part, what we've seen in the mayoral uh, vote is that people want a safe city. People want a fair city and a just city. And if we want to call that combination of values moderate, fine. We could call that combination of values progressive as well. But since when is safety a moderate value or a progressive uh, value? It's not. I think people generally speaking, for the most part, we see most people didn't vote by label; they voted on what they want for the city, and we could characterize that as moderate um but you know, I take issue with that. I take issue with the fact that people want uh a safe safe uh streets. And homeless people being taken care of and not on the streets, and so on. I don't think that that's moderate or reactionary or not progressive. I think that that's a concern of the kind of quality of life uh, people want. There are those who are, call themselves democratic socialists who say that they're progressive, but one of their values, really, they're not anti-safety. They're not. Uh, uh, for the homeless or, or, or anything like that. They just have a different view of how to solve the problems. Let's remember now I'm really going to date myself. Actually, the truth of the matter is only, only Rabbi Patasnik goes back this far.
1: When, when, well, obviously, when, you haven't when, met the Reverend, yeah. When,
3: when Fiorello LaGuardia oh. was mayor, that's in your times, uh, Joe Patasnik, <laughs> when he said, There's no Democratic or Republican way to picking up the garbage. And that's true. And there's no moderate or progressive way of taking care of the city, despite the rhetoric, despite what we hear from from all sorts of candidates. So I'm I'm not uh, overly impressed with those who say progressives won or moderates won or something like that. I think people made. People throughout the city make their common sense choices with regard who they want to represent them and, um, so, and it differs from neighborhood to neighborhood, but that 's okay. you know we are a great mosaic so, so Jerry there are twenty
2: uh, somewhat twenty jurisdictions across the country that use ranked choice voting right now, and in two thousand and eighteen in the May congressional race, the Republican had the most uh, first choice votes. And was leading the Democrat narrowly by, by a couple thousand votes. But two right. independent candidates also received a fair amount of votes. And when their That's second right. choice votes were dis- redistributed, all right, the Democrat wound up winning by a few thousand votes. So the right. redistribution of vote- votes can quickly turn an election. Mm-hmm.
3: That's right. In most overwhelming number of ranked choice voting elections, the person who was leading at the beginning, continue to lead and ultimately won. But the example that you gave is a perfect example in the main congressional race where the number in the first round the number 2 candidate became the number 1 candidate ultimately and and won that won that race. That could happen in New York City um, as we count the votes in it could happen in the in the mayoral race. It's doubtful that that will happen, but it but it's more likely that that might happen. In some city council races where uh, the votes are much closer, you know, uh, Adams is ahead by uh, seventy-five thousand over Wiley and a hundred thousand over Garcia. Uh, that's a that's a big margin, very hard to make up. It's possible uh, mathematically at this point, but it's not likely. But it's it's more likely for a so-called number two person to become a number one count, uh, person and win the race like like occurred in Maine in, in some of the city council races. It'll be interesting to see how that happens. So Jerry,
1: um, one of the things, and we discussed this when you were a guest last time, apathy. I find very often, and it's true of other areas of life, the critics are the ones who don't participate. They sit back uh, and simply point the accusatory finger at the system, at the individual, but they aren't in the arena. They don't get involved. You know, we we had close to a million. We have eight hundred thousand people voted, but that's still not an over
3: 900,000. A...
1: Was that over? I think
3: it was more than that. And how many re... was...
1: how many registered voters do we have?
3: Well, listen. You know, we don't have a. You know, this is true for mostly all of our elections. And it's nothing to be proud of, uh, to tell you the truth. And there are all sorts of, uh, uh, educational campaigns about the importance of voting and so on. When people feel that their livelihoods are at stake or their safety is at stake, they generally, they come out to vote. Um, and it, it, it would be a lot better if more people, uh, voted. There's no question about it. And you could say the same thing in the presidential mm-hmm. race. Why, why was the turnout even in 2020 presidential race? Why was that, um, it was higher than some, but it was still low. You know, there are some countries that fine. Uh, penalize monetary uh, fine uh, um, uh, their uh, voters who don't vote. So everybody is really incentivized to vote by avoiding having to pay a fine. Um, I once suggested this uh, to Hillary Clinton that maybe we institute a um, uh, that kind of system where you have to vote, otherwise you're fine. And when I suggested it to her, she looked at me as if I had two heads because <laughs> we don't have that kind of culture uh, in in the United States. But but maybe it's worth considering to increase turnout. On the other hand, you might say you might look at it a different way, which is to say people who are informed and who are motivated. We want them to vote. And people who are less informed and people who are less motivated, well, why should they vote? Because their vote is equal to those who are highly motivated and highly informed and so on. And why should those votes count as much? Now, I don't ascribe to that particular view, but some people do. Like, oh, the people who are not paying attention, we don't want them to vote because God knows how they're going to vote i'm I'm for a system where we try to encourage as many people to vote as possible and i mean even for considering uh which would be difficult here in this country considering uh uh providing incentives uh to vote such as Uh, Avoidance of a of a small fine. Um, I I, I know that that doesn't uh, comport with uh, and is not consistent with uh, the way we conduct our lives in in this country. But maybe it's worth thinking about.
2: Hmm. So let me ask you a question, uh, Jerry. And and again, you know, I'm just playing a little devil's advocate here uh, because you mentioned. That this, I love it when a, for, when I a love clergy, it when a rep, clergy advocates for the devil. Watch that? But you it's, mentioned it's about something. the will of the majority of the people. Uh, you know, there's a significant number of people who don't fill out all the choices. They simply fill right. out the one person that they're thinking about, and that that's, well, that's all right. So, so, does the data is the data good for the conclusions that we we, we come to? The well,
3: most, pe- most people have voted. Well, I think most people voted for multiple candidates. We'll find out, won't we? I, I myself yeah. voted for uh, five candidates in certain races. And in certain races, I only voted for uh, two because those really were my only choices. And I didn't want to vote for someone who I didn't want, uh, even as number three or four. And that's OK. That was my choice.
0: Renee R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Batasnik, The Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters, 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com.
1: We're talking with Jerry Goldfetter, who is a leading election law expert and uh, has done so many things, teaching at Fordham Law School, special counsel at Strook, um, and really the, the go to person when you want to know uh, about election law. Sherry, one of the things that I find troubling is that there are some talented people who will not consider running for public office. And their response very often is, who wants to go through that kind of scrutiny that often, you know, is unfair? Um, What do we do? I mean, how do you balance you want the best people running, but yet some of the best people don't want to run? How do we a, how do we attract that quality candidate or quality candidates?
3: Well, it, it is a problem. And believe it or not, um, rank choice voting, one of the one of the goals of it um, and one of the characteristics of it, because I think it works, is that there's there's a lot less uh, acrimony between and among the candidates because you want uh, to get number two votes and number three votes. From supporters of one of your opponents. So we've seen a lot less acrimony, a lot a lot less contention between and among the candidates this time around. Although there were some, but much less than there used to be uh, before ranked choice voting. So maybe um, as we continue with the process, you know, people who are reluctant to get involved uh, will feel less reluctant uh, to do so. You know, Uh, The day before election, I always call all the candidates uh, I represent. So, you know, I make a a dozen calls, you know, around some of them I know are going to win. Some of them I know are going to lose. Some of them I don't know. It's 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 sometimes hard to tell. Um, And sometimes I'm quite surprised uh, at, at, at the outcome. But I always, you know, thank them for stepping up to the plate. People who our first-time candidates and people who have been in the process for years. They really need to be thanked because it's a tough business and they really are committing themselves to public service. And they really ought to be thanked for stepping up to the plate, putting themselves out there, knowing that they might very well lose, knowing that it's a hard process, knowing that there are voters who are going to reject them um, and they, you know, they may take it personally and it's very difficult. Uh, so they really ought to thank be thanked. And we should do more of that. Mm-hmm. We should really be very appreciative of people who run for office. And and that also might, uh, um, you know, incentivize people who are not likely to run to run if they're really much more appreciated. So, so, so let me
2: ask you a question, Jerry. Uh, we This is not the first push for ranked choice voting in our country. I think it was back in the mid-20th century that, you know, they tried to uh, adopt this, but it was repealed. There was a lot of pushback against it. Do you think that this can go national?
3: Well, when you say go national, we have a very decentralized electoral system. The United States Constitution says the states regulate their own elections, uh, for f- even for federal office, for, for Congress, for President of the United States, and obviously for state and local offices. So when you ask if it can go national, if, if the New York City experiment experiment with ranked choice voting is successful, is seen as successful, that can really uh, boost uh, the uh, the argument. Uh, by those who want to have ranked choice voting in additional states and uh, municipalities. I mean, we, as you said earlier, we do have it in a bunch of places in, in the country. and It remains to be seen uh, if it really catches on. Um, you know, states and localities are very, they jealous, they regular, they're very jealous about their, the way they do their elections because you know they've been doing it for a long time. They know best uh, about their own state or their own municipality. So there are a lot of factors that go into play that come into play when uh, making choices about how to conduct elections. We used to have proportional representation uh, mm-hmm. as well, and that went by the wayside in a lot of places. So we've had a number of different kinds of electoral systems, but it's up to the states and localities. So Jerry, the Reverend, and I, uh, we have. A lot of discussions
1: offline, and one of the things we talk about is clergy endorsements. Uh, You know, you're certainly allowed to endorse uh, not a congregational uh, signature, but your individual signature. You can endorse a candidate. What do you think of that? And there are many of us who don't endorse because we feel, you know, we're going to antagonize a certain group. We're trying to keep a group together. Any thoughts on Endorsements from clergy.
2: Now, Jerry, I, I will be careful here because I know that uh, I came out and endorsed a uh, one of the candidates for mayor, so uh, he's being real real slick here. So, Jerry,
1: <laughs> no, 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 I'm just not. It's a general question. Okay, it's a general question.
3: Who'd you endorse? Could
1: you endorse? Uh, Eric
2: Adams.
3: Okay. Well, yeah, so
2: that was um, you know that. Look, you know, at, yeah. at the end of the day, I, I, I think that, you know, we're New York City is in recovery and we need someone who could lead that recovery, address the issues of crime uh, and economics, uh, education, uh, quality of life. And, you know, I just, I just think it's going to take a, a balanced approach to it. Uh, and
1: uh, I settled with Eric. Yeah. What do you think, Jerry? Well, I don't mean about no, Eric. Not, I'm just talking about in general be, the idea of. Yeah, you know. no,
3: I understand. Not to be facetious about it, but it's between you and your God. You know, you, you know, whatever profession we're in. You know, I represent a lot of candidates. Do I make endorsements? Yeah, sometimes I do. Clergy is in a very different uh, uh, position. When I go to my shul, and if a rabbi is talking about some political issue. I'm not interested in what they have to say about politics, to tell you the truth. I have my own views. I don't go to shul for politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'm interested in what they have to say, but I'm not really, I'm not guided by what they have to say. I go to them for for spiritual reasons and religious reasons. So, you know, from your point of view, you know, if you feel strongly about it, that's another way of serving your congregation I don't see anything wrong with it. The problem would be is if your congregation sees something wrong with it but that's a different order of yeah. uh, of of, uh, of a question and you need to you need to weigh just like anybody needs in a public position needs to weigh what the impact of their endorsement Uh, might be to their constituents, to their congregation, to their clients, and so on. But I don't see anything inherently wrong about it, except I will say this. It needs to be, and I know you know this, both of you, it needs to be absolutely clear that you are speaking on behalf of yourself Mm -hmm. only because you don't want to um, compromise or jeopardize your 501c3 status of your religious institution. And you don't also and you also don't want and you know this as well. You also don't want your congregation to have their nose out of joint uh, with regard to uh, to what you do. So it's a a personal choice. And there are consequences that you you know, you need to tread carefully. But all of that said, I think it's important when you have a public figure such as both of you, such as, as each of you, your views mean something. Yeah. And I want to know what you think. Yeah. I, I tell to who you
1: endorse. One thing I do make clear is I will certainly speak out against those who I feel uh, take positions that are injurious uh, to the Jewish community. For example, the DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, their policy in terms of Israel. Uh, so it's not just about who you're endorsing, but who are you criticizing. Uh, because you find that stance offensive or dangerous. Uh, I think there you do right. have a response. Yeah, and,
2: and, and Rabbi, you know, all ministry is contextual. Yep. So the context, you know, we have a uh, predominantly African-American, not all African-American, uh, uh, but a predominantly church of color, and that context speaks differently mm-hmm. politically. Yep. If you're in the South, in the Bible Belt, predominantly white uh, congregation, you know, the issues of abortion, same sex marriage and, and, and other issues, you know, are going to uh, bear on how uh, people vote. So they're going to be conscious of who their religious leader supports and what issues that uh, um, that endorsement or mm. or even, you
1: know, nod, uh supports as well. Yeah. All right. Jerry Goldfeder. This has been delightful, and I always look forward to uh, to speaking with you because you have so much to uh, contribute to the conversation.
3: Well, it's, it's always terrific speaking with both of you and to have the opportunity to share my views with the two of you and your listeners, so I appreciate it. And you have a podcast, right? I do. It's called Election Connection. You can find it where podcasts can be found, wherever that is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Jerry Goldfinner, thanks that. so much. Look forward to seeing Thank you, you. So yeah. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you so much, Jerry, for being with Bye-bye. us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: Sure. And Rabbi, we'll be back with more of The, the Rev, Rev. And The Rabbi. And The Rabbi.
0: Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Patasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC.
2: Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Patasnik. And I am Reverend A.R. Bernard. That's right, you are. See, I had to recover from uh, <laughs> you pointing out my endorsement. No, about. I
1: didn't. I just talked in general, uh-huh. and obviously uh-huh. you uh-huh. felt, you know... No, no, I, I look, I think at the end of all all of this people have to be able to be comfortable with who they are and the decision they make because if you're comfortable with it i find the congregation is comfortable with it if you know you can you can disagree with someone to say look i admire the person for taking a stance uh, on the other hand there are, there are some who say i don't want the clergy person to take a stance i'll make the decision person can talk about the issues but i don't want to hear he or she, you know, endorsing the individual. So but, there's no right or wrong. But, see, but that's the paradox, because you heard Jerry say that he doesn't
2: come to shul to, you know, get right. the rabbi's uh, opinion on voting and elections. And then at the same time, he wants to know who the rabbi thinks
1: <laughs> should win. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I find very often I've been a rabbi for a number of years. People know your political Allegiance. They know because you, in your sermons, inevitably, you're talking about issues, and very often people will connect the person with the issue. Wait a minute. You mean, you mean we're sending hints in our sermons? Uh,
2: <laughs> you know, and by <laughs> the way. Our political leanings I are just, secretly encrypted yeah, I in just, our I sermons.
1: I just came from a rabbinical retreat, and, and I have to tell you, we had this discussion, and there was someone who say, you know, my congregation, they're they're furious because I'm not political enough. And others are saying they're furious because they think I'm too political. So you're not going to, you know, satisfy. And, of course, your your, your job is as best you can to keep people together and provide a sacred space where people can have that kind of respectful disagreement, uh, which we haven't found the secret to that. Um, but I, I can tell you that, again, whatever you do, you've got to be able to look at yourself and say, I voted my conscience. I felt this is where I needed to be. And uh, I think people ultimately will respect that. Uh, and of I, I course agree. here at ABC, you know, there are no political views ever expressed <laughs> This is, you None know, a, a right? political station. You would never know <laughs> who they who support <laughs> WABC. Well, I get it. Everything. Yeah. You
2: know, it depends on where you live in the United States, uh, you know, what the expectations are
1: of of, of the clergy person. Yeah. And also that in the African American Church history. There is a tradition, right? Uh, there you go. No, no, of supporting can- a particular candidate. Well, yeah, well, you know, you know what it is. Because, look, look, we,
2: we, we, the only outlet for us, and I wouldn't even say outlet. The only advantage we had in America, with all of its division, its its marginalization, its its racialized systems and structures, is through politics. Mm-hmm. You know, we we were not the the, the owners of big business. So the church could not, you know, join forces with big business in America in order to influence social change. You know, the evangelical churches, the white churches, you know, they, they had those yep. those relationships. Yep. So where where did we turn to? Mm-hmm. We, we, our political it. power. That's yep. where we're going to change the systems and structures from the inside. So that's that's why we lean and we've always had a
1: relationship uh, with our political candidates. You know, it's interesting. Kenley's talk about a platform. When you go into a house of worship, there is a platform, right? There's an elevated area. You preach from. We call it the bema, the platform, and maybe that common word says that all of us have to address issues of the day. You have yeah. to look at the Bible. That you know, look at your tradition and say, how does my tradition speak to what is happening today? I think people want to know. They want to turn to sources and say, I'm looking at an issue. Tell me what traditions teaches me. Um, and that's the platform. Uh, right. So, yeah. Right. I, I think it's expect. I know it's expected of,
2: of me to opine on what's happening socially and politically mm-hmm. in in our society, but at the same time, not tell them who to
1: vote for. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. I get it. That's not always easy, but I get it. I understand. But again, it's your conscience that ultimately makes the decision for you. All right. Good conversation today. Great program, Rabbi. Always great being with you. I reciprocate that feeling and look forward to being with you again and again.
2: Yeah. So, and to all of our Listeners, faithful listeners, we really appreciate you tuning in every Sunday right here on 77 WABC. To the Rev, Rev. And, the rabbi. and the Rabbi. God bless.
3: 51721. That's 800
2: Tax Relief Advocates. Real solutions for real people.
0: He's Greek great American, he's a New Yorker. It's a
1: great American success
0: story. He's
3: involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. He
0: enlists the support of business leaders, elected officials.
3: Katsimatidis
0: rubs shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. Great
1: American, a great New Yorker. Now that's John Katsimatidis, a native New Yorker.
0: Mixing common sense thinking with New York sensibility. He's John Katsimatidis, owner of 77 WABC. And... This is the Cats Roundtable on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Everywhere around the world.